Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I think we're at halftime, I mean, literally. Today is the fourth hearing of the January 6th Select Committee. The committee has laid out the broad strokes of the plot. What's left is the extremely Trump-focused aspects of this. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. I'm Kyle Cheney. I'm a senior legal affairs reporter for Politico. On the show today, as we cross the halfway point in the January 6th committee hearings, Kyle Cheney breaks down the case the committee has presented so far and the growing tension between the committee and the Department of Justice. There's been quite a few Uh, new pieces of evidence that the committee has introduced. And I think most of them shade in the direction of showing how what Donald Trump and his allies were doing wasn't just wrong, wasn't just dangerous, didn't just threaten to overturn democracy, but may have become criminal at a certain point. Uh, And so a lot of the new information is things like John Eastman, a key architect of what Donald Trump was doing, sought a presidential pardon. And part of that is to point to, again, Even the people involved in Donald Trump's circle believe there may have been crimes committed or thought they were in jeopardy of being prosecuted uh, if they weren't protected. And so the committee has really underscored a lot of the evidence that points in that direction uh, at its first few hearings. And what's the plan for today's hearing or what do you know about the plan for today's hearing? So at this hearing, the committee is going to try to connect Uh, the larger elements of Donald Trump's plot to stay in office, to stay in power, with what he was trying to do at the state level, state and local level, where he was calling state election officials, local election officials even, and leaning on them to either not certify the results for Joe Biden or find, in in the case of Georgia, for example, to find me enough votes that I need to overcome Biden. And, And the goal there was really to create enough uncertainty about the result that it could embolden state legislatures to name alternative electors and send them to Congress. So where, where Biden won in Pennsylvania, Georgia, and a number of contested states, he wanted the state legislatures to say, well, yeah, you might have won the popular vote, Joe Biden, but we're going to send Trump electors to Congress anyway and let Pence be the deci- Mike Pence be the deciding factor as to which electors to count. And so that's how this all ties together with other elements of the plot we've learned about so far. Has there been anything about the hearings that has surprised you or changed the way that you think about January 6th or the months leading up to it? I mean, you know, we, we've been steeped in a lot of this for a long time. So I think it's it's yeah. fair to say that that most of what the committee has put out is not new per se, but in, so there's some aspects of it that are new. Again, the, the John Eastman pardon request was a new, uh, an example of something new. Uh, some of the committee's video testimony about how, how things were playing out inside the White House has been new. You know, Donald Trump's daughter saying she believed Trump lost the election was new. Um, so some of that was surprising, um, but not necessarily a, 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 you know, a new smoking gun of some kind. But I would say the committee sequenced it and, and threaded together different aspects of this in ways we hadn't necessarily seen. They, they have very veteran prosecutors working on their team uh, who are sort of building a methodical case. And so a detail that we might have learned back in December, uh, when you combine it with details we learned in March, April and May, looks very different in the full context. And so it's helpful to have them sequencing it for uh, public consumption. 
You've also been writing about the tension between the Department of Justice and certain members of the select committee because the committee has refused to share their transcripts with the DOJ, which was honestly kind of surprising to me. So can you explain why they would refuse to share their transcripts? Sure. Yeah. I I think on the surface, a lot of people think that they, like these people are, they have the same goals here, essentially. And and that may be true in broad strokes, but, you know, the committee is not just about building a criminal proof beyond reasonable doubt case against people who are inside the Capitol or even against Donald Trump. Um, They want to shed as much light on the machinations, the maneuvering of all the people in Trump's orbit. And there's a little bit of a different way about doing that. They've closely guarded their evidence for almost a year now. And they're afraid that once they give it up to the Justice Department, it's not in their control anymore. And a lot of things are going to happen to that evidence. It's going to, it could be leaked. Uh, It's going to be shared with criminal defendants who are about to go on trial, including members of the Proud Boys. And they may have different intentions for what to do with that when they receive it. They have to receive it under, you know, evidence sharing rules. And so, you know, I think the committee is loath to do that while the hearings are ongoing, especially, but while they also are still pursuing other witnesses, other evidence, and don't want uh, their closely guarded secrets out there for those witnesses to to peruse. Mm -hmm. It was really striking to me a while back when Chairman Benny Thompson said, well, we will eventually cooperate with them, but not before we have written our report. And then it was last Thursday, I think, the Department of Justice issued that statement that was made it clear they were not happy. Well, I mean, look, the committee has done a thousand interviews. Some of them may be relevant to prosecutions. In fact, we know some of them are certainly relevant to prosecution. And and look, the committee has been leaning on, on DOJ, too, and, and criticizing them for not pursuing people in Donald Trump's orbit aggressively enough. So, you know, it seemed a little bit incongruous for the committee to be saying, hey, where are you, DOJ? Oh, but we're not going to help you yet, by the way, if you ask us for help. And I, I think it's just a matter of timing. I think the committee was always planning to provide all of the transcripts to DOJ, possibly to the public. And then it's everybody, then it's fair game for everybody to look at and use. But I don't think they want to do it before the hearings are over for sure, and possibly even uh, until their report comes out, their final report in September. There may be some middle ground there where they start providing some transcripts in the interim, but it's not just going to be all at once, you know, immediately. And now that we are at this kind of interesting halfway point, at least with the hearings, what do you know about the machinations inside the committee itself? Obviously, they're very good at keeping their own secrets. But what do you know about how well they think the hearings are landing? Or do you know of any disagreements between them about how to proceed? You know, look, I think everyone's trying to read the tea leaves because the committee is not, I mean, they're, they're as far as they're concerned, they feel like they've connected very well. And, you know, from a, a layman or, or an observer's perspective, uh, someone who's followed this closely, I think what they've done has been fairly digestible and clear uh, and, and potent. But I think we also saw them have some difficulty with the scheduling. They had to cancel their third hearing and, and shake up the schedule kind of unexpectedly. And I think that's a reflection of a few things, is that this is an ongoing investigation. They're learning new things every day that might cause them to reassess their, their strategy. They're competing for attention and they want to make sure they're directing, you know, when do we want to go in prime time? When do we want to say, you know, during the day, are the networks going to carry certain topics in prime time? So they're, they're balancing how this is received by the public in addition to the new information that they're constantly getting. So we talked earlier about what we'll see at today's hearing. What about the remainder of the hearings left? 
So we have one that we expect will focus on the nexus between the domestic extremist groups that contributed to the violence, you know, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, uh, First Amendment Praetorians, Three Percenters, and how they had, you know, links to Trump world or the Trump White House and, and may have not necessarily collaborated together, because I think that would be a different order of egregiousness, but at least had some passing awareness of what each were up to and maybe should have known, you know, maybe the White House should have known a little more about the violent and dangerous groups they were stoking. So I think we'll see a hearing focused on that issue. And I think the, the culminating issue, the final hearing will be on what was happening inside the White House for those 187 minutes that have become famous now where Donald Trump knew there was the Capitol was under attack and didn't do anything to try to stop it for those three hours plus. Um, I think that will feature testimony from former White House officials and could be where the most news gets made, or at least be the most explosive to a viewing audience. You know, I think the the committee hasn't totally said, like, what, what do they consider the ultimate success here? Is it presenting a case that should get Donald Trump indicted? I think they do think he's committed crimes and they've made that case pretty aggressively. Whether DOJ agrees with the theories is a different question. And DOJ has made clear they're watching these hearings. They're, they're, they intend to take in and consume everything the committee puts out. Um, and that's why they're upset they're not getting all the transcripts, at least right away. But I think the committee also wants, there's a question, do they want to shift public opinion? Do they think that's even possible to do? I don't know the answer to that. I think they're happy with the viewership so far and the results of their work so far. But I think, you know, what they actually want to see at the end of all this is an open question, especially with the report still to come. Um, I do think, you know, some of them want to make sure Donald Trump can never run again. They want him to be so unelectable and so damaged because they think he's a threat to democracy, not just out of politics, but because they think he could destabilize the republic. So they would consider that an achievement. But I don't think that's a uniform goal for every single one of them. Kyle Cheney, thank you so much for talking with me. Happy to be here. Also in the news, Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's office announced on Monday that his weakened coalition will be disbanded and the country will have new elections. The coalition was Israel's most diverse government in history, but is disbanding over a disagreement about the future of Jewish settlers in the occupied West Bank. Centrist Foreign Minister Yair Lapid will take over as Prime Minister. Elections are likely to take place in October and will be Israel's fifth round of elections in just over three years. It's seen as likely that Benjamin Netanyahu, the country's polarizing former leader, will try to return to power once again. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.